I'm kind of waiting for a bell, y'all. All I had to do was say it. All right. Well, we are starting a new quarter today. We are in this quarter going to be studying uh, studies from the hymn book of Israel, and that's the book of Psalms. Uh, and as uh, we do so, I kind of wanted to lay the groundwork for how we're going to approach this class. Uh, anybody know how many Psalms there are? 150. How many weeks in a quarter? 13. Okay, so 13 weeks in a quarter, 150 psalms. We're not going to try to cover 12 psalms, especially when 119 has, anybody know how many verses? 176. So that may not even be done in one class. We'll probably alter our approach. So we're going to look at the psalms a little differently. We're going to be kind of doing an overview, a survey in which we're going to look at the different types of psalms, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment. We're going to look at how it functioned in the life of Israel, how it functioned in the life of the early church, uh, and how it can function in our life. And I want to begin right there as we start this study. When I say psalms, or bring up the book of psalms, what might come to your mind? What words do you associate with that? Hymns, okay, think of Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That, by the way, is in reference to the book of Psalms, the early church. That was one of their types. They would sing psalms. What else? Poetry. Poetry, all right. So in just a moment, we're going to be looking at the types of literature that there are in the Old Testament, and this is one of the books of poetry. Uh, the Jews would have seen it as the chief book of poetry. We'll say more about that in a minute. What else? So, songs or hymns, poetry. What other associations do you make? Wisdom. Wisdom. All right, but usually we think wisdom, what book do we think? Proverbs, but there's a lot of wisdom in Psalms. We're going to see that even today. Any other words? So, say it again. Encouragement. Okay. Now, it's a fact that not all of the Psalms are going to be encouraging, but there is so much encouragement that's found there. And I kind of want to, to stand on or segue out of that and speak about what I hope us to derive from our study of Psalms. It really is a devotional book. Now, when I say devotional, I don't necessarily mean some formal arrangement that you had with your spouse and your children. Uh, Though that may be something that you did, we used to do this. We didn't really have uh, some kind of a program that we followed. Sometimes we talk about having family devotions each night. My mom and dad, we would go into our living room and we would sing and we would pray and dad would read from the Bible. Uh, And Psalms is just one of those books because of its diversity that you really associate with your devotional life. And even if you don't have a formal devotional life with your family, according to what we're going to read this morning, you ought to have a private devotional life. A time of interaction between you and God each day. As you bow to Him in prayer, and as you, and as you express to Him uh, that confidence and that dependency, you read His Word so that He can teach and inform you. What we're going to find is that these psalm writers are encouraging us to develop our relationship with God. And that's something that all of us are always striving to build. Now, when we start to study the book of Psalms, it is a superlative book in a lot of different ways. When you start looking at the Psalms in its diversity, 
you're going to find that it is the longest by chapters in the Bible. By a long shot. Somebody mentioned the number. Did anybody remember what it was? 150. Who's second? Do you know? Somebody said 66. That's the number. What's the book? Isaiah. Oh, I gave you the 66, didn't I? All right, that's okay. You sound really smart over there. You are. Isaiah is our second longest book in chapters. All right, the same is true with regard to verses. The book of Psalms, far and away, has the most verses. You have it there in front of you, 2,461. Anybody want to guess what the second longest book is by virtue of verses? It's not Isaiah. Okay, I know you know. You've got a privy to my notes. <laughs> What's the, what book do you think of as being big besides Isaiah? It's the foundational book, Genesis. Genesis has 1,533 verses. Do you notice the wide gap between first and second place there? And how about words? Psalms with 50, oh, sorry, 42,704. So what would you think would be the second longest? It's Genesis. All right, 38,262. When you consider the books of the Bible, some of them have multiple authors. Can you think of any other Bible books that have multiple authors besides Psalms? You didn't know it was going to be so interactive, did you? Auditorium classes where you go to sit and be quiet. All right, Proverbs 30 and 31. Uh, you have Agur, uh, who is writing that. Um, there are some books that we conclude may have been written by a secondary author, like at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, perhaps Joshua writes that little epilogue after Moses' death. It wouldn't have to be. The Spirit could have moved Moses to write that. But we do have at least that. But we know in the Psalms, because there's a superscription above some of these. Some of these, is, uh, as far as we know, go along with the books, uh, with the chapters, rather. Um, so who's the chief writer of the Psalms? David. All right, he's the one most associated with it. Can you give me any names of any other authors of the Psalms besides David? Did you say Solomon? I'm going to give you credit for Solomon. All right, two of the Psalms are by Solomon. Who else? Asaph. Knock a little of that rust off there. Maybe you can remember some long... Uh, uh, the sons of Korah? Or Korah. I don't speak Hebrew. Do you know what the old, who wrote the oldest psalm? Moses. If you look at Psalm chapter 90, you'll see above that that Moses wrote that psalm. Um, so we're going to go back to about 1500 B.C. It uh, looks like that Psalm 137, one of the songs of ascent, would have been written from the captivity period. So the songbook of Israel, this inspired collection of God, was collected over a thousand years in time. Now, when we speak about the psalms, we talk about the book of psalms. But you may have it there and be able to derive that from your notes. The book of Psalms is actually a collection of five books. Um, when we look, up that, look at that collection, your Bible probably has over it book one, book two, book three, book four, and book five. So uh, it is divided. Um, this is an ancient arrangement that we have by the New Testament times, we would believe, from what Paul says in Acts chapter 13 and verse 33. Uh, but book one, if you want to know this, is chapters one through 41. Uh, book two is uh, chapters 42 through 72. So one through 41, 42 through 72. Book three is 
uh, chapters 73 through 89. Book 4, those so-called Psalms of Ascent, um, is um, 90 through 106. 90 through 106. And then the, the last several is book 5, uh, 107 through 150. Now, the Jews saw great significance in the number 5. Can you think of any other Bible fives that are presented to us that are significant in their number five? The Pentateuch. All right, actually, Pentateuch is a Greek word from the Greek Old Testament that means five books. All right, so um, the, the law books of the Old Testament are five in number, and they're Genesis through Deuteronomy. Any other fives? Okay, we're going to get to that in the New Testament, 5 and 2, and that would have had significance. You know, you first read about that in Matthew. Matthew's audience is Jewish. It would have resonated with them, uh, this, this number of divine involvement. Okay? How about in the Old Testament? Any other fives? Five stones? Very good. That's right, Mr. Dolores. Five stones that David used. How many major prophets? Books of major prophecy. There's five. How many types of Old Testament literature? There's, I'm, you should know where I'm going with this, right? There's five. We got the books of law, the books of history, the books of poetry, which Psalms is one of, the books of major uh, prophecy, and the books of minor prophecy. And so the Jews looking at this would say that this is no mistake that this inspired songbook was divided into five categories, um, and they would see significance in that. There are five books of poetry of which Psalms is one. When you think of it in terms of uh, the five, it's Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Um, When you think about how Psalms is used in the New Testament, to go back to that, uh, sometimes the Jews would refer to the poetry section by its largest book, Psalms. Can you think of any occasion when Jesus did that? Refers to it. If you look in your... Go ahead. All right, so it's actually going to be after his resurrection. He says, he's explaining to the apostles what's taking place with his death, burial, and resurrection. And in Luke 24 and verse 44, he says, These are the things that were written about me that must be fulfilled, the things that were written in the law and the prophets and the Psalms. Now, when he says Psalms, he's not just referring to that book, but that category of Old Testament literature that the Hebrew Bible would have been, and that's covering all of those books. All right. It's of interest, I suppose, for us to note that uh, Psalms is quoted over a hundred times in the New Testament. It is quoted most often in relationship to Jesus being the Messiah. It's also quoted in reference to um, the church, uh, but you'll find Jesus often referring to it, especially in a messianic way, uh, to talk about those passages that uh, are... He fulfills in his ministry and in his death and so forth. Um, Every book of the Bible has keywords. And those keywords help us to understand what that book is about. Now, if you step back for a moment, maybe you don't have that marked in your Bible, but and maybe you haven't read the book of Psalms in a while. But I believe if you've sat in church for any length of time, you could probably come up with a few of the keywords from the book of Psalms. Can you think of any words you think that are repeated in the book of Psalms? Lord. Lord. 
all right, is the chief. It's, it's found the most often. You think about that right from the book of Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd. It comes front of mind. Um, the Lord said to my Lord, and we'll look at several of the Psalms. All right, so Lord, any other? Okay. <laughs> I think there are times, and, and while that's not a technically key word in the book of, of Psalms, uh, there's so much that's personal. You will see it being written from the writer's perspective so often. The late Hugo McCord actually said about Psalm 23 that he used to think that that was the shepherd's psalm. But when you investigate more closely, it's the sheep's psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And I believe that's the way you read that particular psalm. Um, praise is a key word in the book of Psalms. Righteous is a key word in the book of Psalms. Heart. When you think a devotional book would be aimed at talking about our heart, uh, and it does. Soul. Another key word. Obey. Now isn't that interesting? When we're talking about a book that's devotional in its nature, that's talking about my relationship between me and God, and how it's personal and it's intimate, but this is not like any other relationship you'll ever have with anybody else. This is a, a relationship with the divine. And so there is uh, an authority in that relationship. There is a superior. There's a head. And so I'm going to obey him. And that's emphasized throughout, especially in that third book. Uh, mercy. Save. And wicked. Wicked. Mm-hmm. All right. So... If we had the time and it was the purpose of our class, what you could really do is take those key words I've just given you and you could construct a sentence that would kind of give you an idea about what the book of Psalms is all about. Uh, the Lord is worthy of praise. Um, in my heart and my soul, I will obey him for his mercy and his salvation. I will be wicked and not righteous. I know that's about three short sentences, but there's kind of the idea. That's really the book of Psalms. In a nutshell, so I hope you enjoyed the class. We'll all go into Revelation next week. There are seven types of psalms. I really want you to see the diversity. Um, and you would really need to kind of know what types are to, to be able to pick this out. But I want you to see how um, wide-ranging this uh, book is in how it can be helpful in our lives. So there's a large category of psalms called didactic psalms. I know it sounds like a very technical term. Anybody know what the word didactic mean, means? There's an old J.W. McGarvey book. It's the way I was a preacher student, and uh, it was um, a book by J.W. McGarvey called didactic. Um, I can't even think of the second word, but I had to ask what does that word mean. It means teaching. So there is a category of psalms that are teaching psalms. That's their import, their instructions for us. And then, as you might guess, there are a lot of praise psalms. The last five are praise songs. They are calls for praise. They are reasons for praise. There's the character and the nature of God that's on display that causes us in response to praise. And then, akin to these, there are thanksgiving psalms. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Um, it, those, that's said often, but there are individual psalms that by their type would be designed for us to give thanks to God. There are lament psalms. What does that suggest to you, lament? Lamentations. What does that suggest to us? Sorrow, grief. 
There is an entire category of psalms. Now, remember what I said at the very beginning of this class, that this is about our devotional life with God? Aren't there times when you're happy? What do you want to do? If you're tuned in and your relationship with God is on a healthy footing, when things are going right, what do you do? Thank you. Thank you, God, for that. But aren't there times periodically in our lives where we're in the valley, where things are going terribly, where we're facing an intense crisis and we're under stress, and are you prone, inclined in those moments to say, God, you're great, you're awesome, you're mighty, and thank you? I think it needs to be a part of that. What do you do in those moments? There's the woe is me. What else? In any relationship, what are you going to also say? There's going to be anger. Somebody said it. Blame. There's going to be an aim at God saying, and when we blame God in those situations, what word comes first to mind? Why? Why? Why me? Why is this happening? Now, when we think about this, and I don't want to give away something, I just don't know how much time we'll, we'll have for this later in the class. Who wrote the Psalms? Trick question. God wrote the Psalms. So when the writer says, God, why? Who's saying that? God is. So what is God doing in the Psalms when he says, why God? What's he doing? He's answering. He's also modeling. You know what he's telling you? You're always going to be reverent. You're always going to remember that he is Lord. He's on his throne. But he's saying there are times in your life when I expect that you're not going to understand it's going to be bigger than you are and I want you to come into my throne room and I want you to say, why God, why is this happening? And we're going to find out if we have time this morning when we get to Psalm 13 that there is a beautiful feature of the lament psalms. Don't, don't, if those make you uncomfortable, don't avoid them. Because I think that's one of the most faith-building types of psalms in the psalms. They teach us how to have a closer relationship with God. And you know, I've heard it said, whether we're talking about in business or in individual relationships, that the only way to get to a more intimate relationship is through what? Does anybody know? I wouldn't expect it. Somebody said it. Suffering's a part of it. Conflict. Who do you fight with the most? You don't want to say that out loud. I'll tell you who I fight with the most. You probably can guess. My wife. Is there anybody that you fight with more than your spouse? Why is that? You know what? If, and, and Jim and I are good friends, but if Jim comes and does something to me and says something to me, I'm probably going to react differently, as close as we are, than I will with Kathy. Because I ain't closer to anybody more than I am to Kathy. And so when I look at my relationship with God, I'm going to be respectful, reverent, because he is in heaven. I'm on earth. I will let my words be few. But one of those words is going to be why. That's a powerful type of psalm in the psalms. Then there are psalms of trust. Interesting that the divine songwriter is going to give us confidence in him. And so there are psalms in which I will trust in you. There are royal psalms. Royal in two ways. These, there are psalms that are devoted especially to David and his descendants, mostly David. So they're royal in that sense. But they're also royal in the sense of, can you guess who else? Who's the King of kings and the Lord of lords? 
And you think about how the Psalms are messianic. So a lot of these royal Psalms are dual fulfillment. They may have a fulfillment in David and his descendants, but they also have fulfillment in Christ. And their ultimate fulfillment is in Jesus. And then here's another 10-cent word. You're going to be able to impress all your friends with all your Bible knowledge words that you've come up with. There's a type called imprecatory psalms. Don't you use that every day? I I thought I introduced you. No, I don't either. Imprecatory. Uh, That is a a type of psalm that, that means to call down curses on. This is another very interesting type of psalm that we'll get to, not today, but we will at some point, where you have the inspired writer calling down a curse on someone else in the name of God. Now we'll talk about how you do use those, how you don't use those when we get into class. But let me make this summary point before we get into a few example psalms this morning. The heavy heart is lifted by psalms. And so when you're feeling sorrow, there's a lot of different coping tools that you have. Now some of our coping tools are unhealthy and we should get rid of them. Some of them are neutral, but there's nothing that you'll do better when your heart is heavy because of sorrow, grief, uncertainty, fear, then turn to the Psalms. The searching mind is taught by Psalms. All the big questions of life are answered in the Psalms. The greatest perplexities of life, while God may not lay out an A through Z answer to them, are answered through the Psalms. The lost soul is guided by Psalms. And the lowly man is drawn closer through the Psalms. All right, so... I know we could have said a whole lot more to introduce the biggest book in the Bible, but I want to get into the Psalms. What I want us to do is we're going to look at the Psalms, and we're just kind of break them down, make a little bit of application, uh, and see what the Psalms are saying to us. Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to the book of Psalms. And while I say we're not going to cover every one of them, we've got to cover Psalm 1. All right, if somebody wants to read Psalm 1 nice and loud, if you wouldn't mind doing that, I'd appreciate it. Okay, so this is the perfect psalm to be at the head of the class of the book of Psalms because it's an overview, it's a general introduction to the rest of the book of Psalms. Now, you might go back and look at your keyword list that we formulated a few moments ago. You're going to find at least some of them uh, right here in this chapter. And so it really does map out what the the book of Psalms as a whole is going to be talking about. And there's a lot of different ways to analyze this psalm. I count that there are three individuals in this psalm. Who are they? All right, there's the ungodly. That's one of the categories. The righteous. Who else? Somebody said it. God. The Lord. All right, so there's our three individuals. I didn't say humans but individual, three beings that are there. Now you'll notice that each of them is characterized in a certain way, and each of them act in accordance with their character. So you think about what Miss Martha said, there's the ungodly. How would you expect the ungodly to behave in ungodly ways? You know, go sometime to 2 Peter chapter 2, and Peter talks about how all the ungodly men in all their ungodly ways so they say those ungodly things. He just drills home that concept that you can tell, and, and the psalmist is going to tell us, you can tell how the ungodly are. But then the contrast is who? All right, so when we think ungodly, when we think about a contrast word, isn't it interesting we would say either godly or, so that would be its contrast. Okay, so there's our word that the psalmist used, but we would say godly or righteous, wouldn't we? 
So what's the difference between being blessed and being godly or righteous? When you think about blessed, what comes to your mind? Somebody asks, how you doing? You say, I'm blessed. I'm too blessed to be stressed. So who does that put the focus on? That's the result, right? Who wrote the Psalms? God. So what is God saying? There is an ungodly path, and he's going to describe that path for us and what it's like and who that person is. But on the other side of that, by way of contrast, certainly we can read the behavior and see that they're righteous and we can see that they're godly. But the psalmist chooses to put the focus on the result of that kind of life. And we'll look at that more when we look in the psalm in just a second. How does, the book, how does this psalm begin? How blessed is the man. All right, this word blessed is found 25 more times in the book of Psalms, uh, and it is really going to set the tone for what the writer is trying to say in all the Psalms. It carries with it the idea of being fortunate, being in a state of complete and full prosperity, just how we would think of it, right? Uh, of being blessed in that way. The writer is talking about the full measure of happy circumstances. So here is how the devotional book between you and God begins. Do you want to have a blessed, fortunate, happy circumstance throughout your life? I'm not promising you that you won't have sorrow and valleys and difficulties, but if you want to know generally how to be fortunate and have the right kind of circumstances in life, then listen very closely to what I'm about to say. That's Psalm 1. Absolutely. Yeah. And really the perfect example of that is the Beatitudes in the New Testament. Because when he says blessed are those particular different types, the last one that he spends the most time on is verses 10 through 12 of Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are they, do you know, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How many want to go out, find somebody and say, hey, would you please persecute me for about a week or a month? But what does Jesus say is the outcome of that? There's satisfaction. There's completeness in the relationship. So what the writer is doing for us at the very beginning is he's redefining the terms. The world means something by satisfaction and happiness. God means something completely different. But you know the beautiful thing is, you listen to what he has to say, at the end of that, you are going to find satisfaction and completeness that you cannot. You think about the world all around you and how they are in constant pursuit of peace and happiness and satisfaction. And it proves elusive apart from building the right kind of relationship with God. So the psalmist is really setting us up at the very beginning. To me, I don't know how many of you are readers. Um, When I was a kid, I read a lot, and then I discovered sports, and I put books down for about 25 years. We went on a vacation in Pennsylvania one time, and there was a book in the library. I started reading it. It was Watership Down. It was a a fictional book about rabbits. But I read it, and it was interesting, and I started reading again. And there's, there's something that writers will do a lot of times in series. At the end of their book, they'll have a kind of a preview of the next book in the volume just to kind of whet your appetite. That's what Psalm 1 is. It's a, here's a preview of coming attractions. Here's what the rest of the book is going to do for you, if you'll understand these contrasts. All right, so let's look very quickly. I want to I preach these, but I, I can't. Uh, we're teaching the class. All right, what's the blessed life? The blessed life is measured by what you don't do. You see that in verse 1. We don't base our lives on the bad advice 
of bad people. We don't allow our minds to be shaped by the lifestyle of the godless. This is just verse 1. We can't be at ease being around people who scoff at God. So you just think about that opening line in the Psalms. I don't follow the bad advice of bad people. Where might we pick that up today? Sometimes people come to me for marriage counseling. And it doesn't take very long when they're laying out their issues and you're talking to them about what's going on and you begin to listen to where they're getting their wisdom from. And you know where they're getting it from? Not the Bible. Yeah, the someone else who might be the co-workers, might be a vested interest, a family member who's certainly unbiased in their view of things, right? And sometimes even, if you'll, we don't, what we don't do when somebody's giving us advice like that is we don't turn it around and say, should I be taking marriage advice for somebody who's on their fifth marriage? You know, because what they're telling me is you've got to just take care of yourself. You know, we need, well, don't you love this phrase, me time? You've got to have some me time. And look, you need to take care of you. You don't worry about it. And, and, and that's just a recipe for a, a happy, blissful marriage, isn't it? Be self-centered. Right? But So you're getting this advice. But what about the blessed man? That's not where he gets his advice. He doesn't take bad advice from bad people. And you can, you can look at that first verse and you can see how it lays out that way. The verse does not teach the total avoidance of the unrighteous, does it? Do you see him saying that you seal yourself off from the rest of society? But what you do is you avoid unrighteousness. You don't walk in those ways. You don't stand. You don't sit in those places. The blessed life is also measured by what's in you. And according to this psalm, what's to be in you? The law of the Lord. It's, it's, we delight in it. There's a result that comes from that. By the way, if you just want to kind of write some of these notes, we'll, we'll make them as we go along. In chapter 2, verse 1, this is chapter 1 and verse 2. But in chapter 2 and verse 1, the ungodly devise a vain thing. So underline that word devise. In chapter 1 and verse 2, the blessed meditate. That's the same word in the Hebrew. In God's law. Man, here's a contrast for you right there. The ungodly that they devise, they meditate on, they think about how to do a thing that has no worth or value ultimately. But the blessed person meditates, devises, sits and thinks and dwells on the word of the Lord. And it makes all the difference in how life goes. So it's good for me to ask, what do I fill my heart with? What do I delight in? That's how you measure the blessed life. Number three, the blessed life is measured by what it does for you. Verse three. One and two tells us what we do if we're the blessed man. Verse three tells us what the blessed life does for us. And what does it do for us? All right, it gives us fruits. It's an open book test. It's right there in front of you. It gives us fruits. Prosperity. What's he like? Tree planted by the water. Now, why, what's the significance of that? Yeah, so those roots are reaching down there, getting that nourishment from the water. Uh, the psalmist is painting for us what that blessed life looks like. And so uh, it gives us roots, fruits. It gives us vitality, life. It gives us prosperity. The blessed life is measured by what you're not, verse 4 and 5. The wicked are not so. 
uh, that word wicked means one who's guilty of crime and deserving punishment. So what's the problem with that life, the life of the wicked? When he says the wicked are not so, what does that mean? Not so. Not planted. It's, actually, it's, it's all of that and more. It's, it's not like verses 1 through 3. Not like the blessed. So my problem now is, if I live in an ungodly way, is I don't have anything that God has promised in verses 1 through 3 to the blessed man. But I have a bigger problem. What's the bigger problem? Verse 4 and 5. Okay, so what are you not? So what's, what's the problem for the, the wicked person? What are they like? Okay, you can't stand in the judgment. All right, so you've got a problem now. You don't have the blessings of the blessed life, but you can't stand in the judgment. He also uses a similar term. He says it's like the, the wicked are like what? Chaff. What's chaff? Y'all know that better than me. I'm a country boy, but we didn't have uh, big uh, crops. My, my grandpa did, but it was cotton. What's chaff? Waste. When, okay, what, so, so what's the psalmist telling us? Now, I step back and realize Genesis 1, 26 and 27 tells me that I am made in the image of God. Of all creation, God sees me in a special way. And so God has an expectation for me to live up to. And he's helping me. He's empowering me. But if I reject that and I live a different way, then what is my life ultimately? It's a waste. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you look at verse 3, and it's all about choices. It really is. Verse 3 is showing a, a vibrant, living, fruitful tree or chaff. And God's saying, I'll, I give you the choice. You have the power of choice. I'm trying to help you to see that there's really not a choice. But at the end of the day, it's, it's up to you. It would blow away. And you're left with the substance. That's the picture. That's the picture. All right? And then the blessed life is measured by what God does. He knows the way of the righteous. He approves of it. And he sees to it that the way of the wicked perish. All right. So more we could say about that. But we get to choose the outcome of our lives. But God says it's not really a hard choice. Now, we are going to go to Psalm 2. It looks like we're going through all of them. But this is a completely uh, different type of psalm than Psalm 1. Uh, you'll notice that it says up there on the PowerPoint that it is a, both a messianic psalm and it's a royal psalm. What does messianic mean to you? All right, so when you think Messiah, who do you think? All right, so there's a lot of psalms that are messianic. They're about Christ in their, in their nature. Especially we'll see that in Psalm chapter 2. Um, royal psalms, we've already mentioned, that's a kingly psalm. Uh, psalm 2 is the first of the royal psalms and the, and the messianic psalms. There are about 20 royal psalms, if you want to have that fact, referring to kingship or reign. And as we've said, some of these are about David and some of these are about his descendants, but all of them uh, are about King Jesus. All right, we don't have really the time to read through Psalm uh, 2. There's 12 verses, but I want to notice some qualities of the sun, and we'll kind of go back to that as we look at it. Um, Actually... I don't see how I can adequately teach this without us at least looking at that. If somebody already has Psalm 2, uh, I'm trying to find this without my glasses. If you'll read it, I would appreciate it. Psalm 2. Blessed are those who put their trust in him, 
Okay, so just four observations about this psalm. First of all, he is anointed, verse 1 through 5. That word anointed uh, is the Hebrew word for Messiah. It has a wide range of of meanings. Uh, Again, this has dual fulfillment. This is about David, but the New Testament tells us it's also about Jesus. And there are some significant facts about this anointed one. So anointed means what? What's another word for anointed? Chosen. Chosen. All right, so he's chosen for an office or a work. Well, what office or work was David chosen for? King King of Israel. What office was Jesus chosen or anointed for? To be the king of kings and the lord of lords, to be the savior of the world. He's going to go into that even more later. So he is appointed for a work, but he's also described as being amazed uh, and even amused by the kings and the rulers of the earth. Their their efforts to resist him and to thwart his plans, uh, he finds amusing, but he's not just amused. What else is he? He's furious. All right, so we have this one that's pointed out, this king, this special king. Yes, it's David. He was a warrior. David never lost in battle. Um, But there's a greater king than him. God in heaven has a plan that he is going to execute through his anointed. There's the idea. So he is anointed. Number two, he is king. All right, so obviously that is uh, related to the last observation. Kings are anointed. The word literally means to be poured out. Um, So while there's a royal connection, I want you to see that there's also a worship connection. Under the Old Testament, there are all these, you read in the book of Leviticus, there's different kind of offerings that you make. And one of them is a drink offering. Um, A specific one, the one that stands out in my mind the most, is whenever you read in the mighty men, do you remember that David longed for a drink of water? from the well in Bethlehem and the mighty men, they run through the lines and they, they run and they get that water from that well at the, at the risk of their own lives and they come back to David and here's parts David in the heat of battle and he does just what you would expect him to do, right? You remember what he does? He pours it on the ground. Don't tell me you didn't read that and go, what in the world is David doing? If you understand the worship of the old law, which when I first read it for, for a long time, I didn't understand He is saying, I appreciate what you've done to such a degree that I'm going to offer this out to God. Thirsty as I am, great sacrifice that you made, it's that valuable to me. All right, so it was David worshiping on that occasion by pouring out that water on the ground. Now, Jesus is called a lot of things, isn't he, in the New Testament? But what's one of the things he's called in connection with what we're talking about right now? He's the living water. And what what happens to Jesus? He's poured out as an offering for us. We're going to see that in the New Testament. In Psalm 2 and verse 6, the Father installs this king. And indeed, Jesus is the king of kings. We've already mentioned that. Number three, he is God's son. This passage is repeatedly cited in the New Testament and it's applied to Jesus. If you want references, Acts chapter 13, verse 33. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 5. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 5. Here just think intimate connection with the Father. He has a special relationship. They share, how, how close is the relationship? They share essence. They share nature. God the Father is deity. God the Son is deity. Um, there's also a mention of inheritance. 
And here's what's going to happen a lot in this class on the Psalms. There's cooler stuff that we can do when we go deeper. The inheritance, though I want you to see this, what is the inheritance in this psalm? It should be spelled out there for you. In verse, somewhere between verse 7 and 12. Am I wrong if I say it's the nations in the, uh, the ends of the earth? So how is that a treasure to God? A very rich study in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. As I dug into that, I actually even uh, preached one time on a program in which I was trying to, to figure out what uh, Paul is saying when he says, to the praise of his glory. Um, I, I just couldn't help myself but to think that that's talking about us praising God. But when you do look deeper into Ephesians 1, which I think is the fulfillment of Psalm chapter 2, it's talking about what we are to God. You think about all that God has and all that God owns. And when God is looking out at everything that would show his greatness, do you know what his treasure is? Do you know what he values more than anything else? When God looks down and says, that's my great work, that's my treasure, it's his children. I think I've mentioned this before. I'm sorry, I talk so much, I don't know what I say where, but I remember that my dad would always say about us, you're my treasure. And, you know, you think about there are folks who have accumulated a lot of stuff in this world, and if you were to measure it in every way you could measure it, you would say that their treasure has to be material in nature. But God is saying, I've made it all, I own it all, but what's most valuable to me is you. Now, that's certainly a good application, but you know who he's speaking of here is his son there. All right, he is Lord. I would just say this about it in verse 11 and 12. This is referring to Jesus as Lord, as God. Uh, you can see the parallel in verse 11. Worship the Lord is parallel to do homage to the Son. Um, the heart of this psalm refers to Jesus as the Son of God. Jesus is called Lord elsewhere in the psalm. Psalm 110 and verse 1. Alright, so here's the thing. The Jews saw this as a messianic psalm. But they just didn't see Jesus as the fulfillment of it. But the New Testament writers, anytime you have the Spirit of God guiding those New Testament writers to cite a psalm or quote it, and you'll see it in your blocks or whatever, they're saying, look, here's a heavenly endorsement that this is what this verse meant. Psalm 2 is about David, but it's about Jesus. All right, I am not always the best time manager in class. I always think I don't have enough notes for my time. That has almost never been the case, maybe never. Um, so... Uh, Next week, David Sproul is going to be having our seminar. We'll have a combined adult class um, in here. On the 17th, Roger will be teaching this class, and presumably he'll pick up at Psalm chapter 8. It's a good one, what is man? But that's up to him, and uh, we'll meet next week um, all together, and then back in Psalms two weeks from today. Thank you very much for your attention.